You're listening to Agile Next, the next generation Agile talk show. I'm Daniel Gulo. And I'm Stephen Forte. Each week, we ask industry leaders to share their past experiences with Agile practices and to provide their insights into where Agile is heading to next. The show is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and by visiting our website at www.agilenext.tv. This episode is brought to you by Applebrook Consulting and Fresco Capital. Whatever your Agile needs, Applebrook Consulting can help with training and coaching. Visit our website at www.apple-brook.com. Fresco Capital is a global venture capital firm focusing on entrepreneurs building global businesses. Visit our website at fresco.vc. Episode 17, October 6th, 2016. Today on our show, we're talking with Mitch Lacey. Mitch is a founder of the consulting firm Mitch Lacey & Associates, which is a family-run business based in Bellevue, Washington. Mitch is a certified scrum trainer and as such coaches and trains for numerous high-profile clients such as Microsoft and others. He's also conducted courses for the University of Washington and has served on both the board of directors for the Agile Alliance and Scrum Alliance. Mitch has also recently released a new revision of his book, The Scrum Field Guide. Mitch, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Danny. So you've been involved with Scrum practices for quite a while. Could you briefly share with us your experience on how you got started down the path of your Agile journey? I was working at Microsoft from uh, 2001 to 2006. And in 2001, we were, working on a, we were working on a system, and I don't even remember what it was. It was so unmemorable. Um, but we did have an interesting practice that was being introduced to us by the partner that we were working with, and it was extreme programming. And I remember walking down the halls, chatting with friends, and, and everybody was sort of of the same mindset of this. We're sitting there saying to ourselves, we're doing XP, we're doing XP. This just must mean that people are pair programming and pair programming seems stupid. And why would they name this after an operating system anyway? And there were, there were good laughs, there were good chuckles. Looking back at that moment, I find that when I have conversations with people in companies today, a lot of the same questions that I asked then are still being asked now. But I fast forwarded, let me back up a little bit. So after that XP project, we, I moved on to another project and, and it was a large project, roughly 13, 14 people on any given day, scheduled to run for about 18 months. And as a program manager, I was the one responsible for the, for the schedule, for customer and stakeholder management. I worked with the development leads and the test leads to do activity sequencing, work breakdown structure, task estimation. And we put everything into a big 1,000 plus line Microsoft project plan. And I ran it and we met on a weekly basis and we had regular status reports. And, you know, we would do our development and or our design then our development and our testing and then our stabilization to make sure that everything worked. And then uh, at the end of that, things were supposed to be good to go. So we're tracking along great. We're, we're beyond a year in and things are working according to plan. We run some stress and performance testing and lo and behold, nothing works. We have a conversation with another team inside the company who was responsible for a, a very large piece of technology that we were utilizing. 
And they told us that the way that we had architected and designed our system was flawed. And so I, uh, I walked away from that experience shipping six months late, right at review time. Uh, I walked away from that experience saying to myself, I can, I cannot do that again. It was, it was not fun would be the nice way to say it, but it was really an eye-opening experience. And the fact that, that I reflected and said, I've been doing projects better for years. And what I concluded was that better meant that I would amplify everything. So not only would I amplify the good behaviors, but I would also amplify the bad behaviors. And the problem with being better or amplification is that I would put a noise suppressor, a noise filter on all the bad stuff, and I would hold it at bay only to have it overpower that filter and at the end of the project come to light in, in this case in terms of having to re-architect a system. And it wasn't the first time that this had happened to me, and it happened to me repeatedly before on other projects, but I kept walking away from those other projects that were less higher profile, less financially risky, and said, okay, well, I'll do that better next time. I'll do it better next time. And, and I walked away from this one saying, I can't do it better. I have to do it different. And so I started reading a bunch of, a bunch of books, and this was in 2004. Started reaching, reading a bunch of books, and after, after taking a few months off, had some vacation. It was Christmas time. My youngest daughter was born. I went to my boss, and I said, hey, you know, you have a goal for this organization, which is to increase operational efficiencies by 50% without increasing headcount. And he says, yeah. I said, I think I got a solution for you. And I start laying out all this agile stuff. And I say, you know, I have to attack risk up front. I have to validate what my customers need and, and, and validate that quickly through working software because what they ask for is going to be wrong. And we have to, you know, prove our design and we can't have a big upfront design. We have to practice emergent architecture. And he's, you know, nodding his head going, yeah, 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 it's all great. I said, well, I think all this stuff will help you achieve that goal. This is a pretty big group inside the company, 300 plus people. I said, I think this will help you achieve that goal. And he goes, I agree. What I didn't know at that point was my, my boss here, who was my boss's boss, had actually been doing this Agile stuff before. Um, he'd done it at consulting shops outside of Microsoft. He was doing it at Microsoft. And he had recently come over to this group to lead it. And he said, what do you want? And I said, I want a project and I want a team. And he said, no. I'm like, dude, that's not cool. He goes, go find your own project, go find your own team, and I will support you. But if you can't get people bought in, me telling them to do it isn't going to help you. You need to drive this effort. I will support you and be your champion. So if there's any problem whatsoever with anybody, have them come to me because I'm the one who's going to have the final say. Basically, what he said was, I got your back. And we went on and uh, built, uh, built another system. Oddly enough, it was higher profile than the one that I had just failed on. and. Uh, we got to do everything under the sun. Arlo Belshi's paper, Promiscuous Pairing in Beginner's Mind, was presented at the actual 2005 conference in Denver. And uh, our team got to go to this conference, and the company paid for it. And we listened to Arlo's talk. Ward Cunningham was one of our coaches, and he was, he was working at the company at the time. And Ward tracked me down in the hallway, and he goes, you have to come listen to Arlo talk. This is mind-blowing stuff. You're not going to believe it. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, we're looking for, you know, we're looking for crazy because, you know, we get the daily scrum stuff. And so we go listen to Arlo's talk, and he explains all these different, this different technique on, on, on keeping pairs engaged and stuff. And we're like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. We have to do this. So we pull Arlo aside, and 
uh, we go buy him dinner. He says, I'll give you anything you want for, for, for food. So, so we're at dinner with Arlo and this one thing that, that really surfaces uh, from this conversation and from this conference was we were often looking at people the wrong way. We were looking at people as, of course, resources, like a lot of organizations do, but that then drove a thought process for us, which was looking at skills. And Arlo was pounding into our heads, guys, this is not about skills. It's about competencies. It's about your mindset. It's about your way of thinking. It's about your ethos. It's about your work ethic. And you can learn skills easily, but the way you're going to be picking up these ways of thinking and ways of acting and understanding the whys, these are really the key. So if you want to have a successful team, you guys need to figure out why you're doing all this stuff. And at the time, I was really struggling with story points. Um, I didn't get it. The team, for the most part, got it. But I was still clinging on hours. And I kept saying, no, hours hours are absolute. And hours are the way it's at. And what do you mean you can't estimate a, a task that we're going to be doing in nine months from now? I mean, you should be able to do that. You're an expert, right? And And so I was struggling with that. And because I was struggling with that in this conversation that we had coming out of dinner with Arlo, you know, I said to the guys, I said, look, guys. I don't, I don't get this story point stuff. You guys seem to get it. I'm going to let go and I'm going to put my trust in you because I trust you more with this than I trust myself. And if I keep fighting it, I'm going to slow us down. And, and I reflected on that and the team reflected on that and they're like, wow. So your ability to actually step forward and, you know, have the courage to say, this is where I'm struggling you know, that was one of the one of those first steps that we as a team really needed to take because it was a sign of maturity. It was a sign of openness. It was a sign of being able to ask for help. And it really helped set the standard for all of us moving forward. It's pretty fascinating because you did something that so many people are not willing to do. You admitted you were struggling with something. You admitted you didn't have the answer. You asked for you actually didn't even ask for help. You put your trust in the rest of the people on the team and I also find it fascinating that you, when you jumped into this, you had the backing of your boss. You said your boss had your back. Were those two things linked with your team? Do you feel that having the engaged and, and, and very supportive authority figure helping you that gave your team that extra boost to take that trusting step? Absolutely. So, you know, this is not a story I often tell. Um, you know, this, there was this, this four-month window that was essentially a black hole of time for me where my boss, Mike, said, you know, if you want to do this, Mitch, go go find a project and go find a team and make it happen and I'll support you. And then four months later, we magically started. I had conversation after conversation after conversation with people who, who would be considered, oh, I don't know, the rock star devs or the A-list players or whatever it was. And clearly I was not viewed as that because I just came off of this disastrous failure. And um, I would talk to folks and they would say, why on earth would I want to work in a shared space? Why on earth would, would I want to do pair programming? That's just stupid. Then I can't listen to music and I have to actually talk to people. I, I don't want to do that. I just want to write my code, check it in and be done. I mean, that's why we have code reviews. And I'm like, no, no, no. But, you know, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm like, a, like a kitten on caffeine bouncing up and down. No, but it's great because, you know, if we do pair programming, then you both know what's going on and we don't have this problem of, you know, if you're on vacation, everything stops. Yeah, but, you know, I'm the expert. I don't really, I really don't want to 
be slowed down because I have to get some other guy up to speed. And, and I kept getting these, these conversations, you know, am I going to lose my office? Is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? I kept going back to Mike saying, struggling with this, struggling with this. What do I do? And he goes, keep at it, man. Keep at it. You need to figure out what motivates people. You need to figure out what's going to get them, going to get them off the fence and into the game was kind of the analogy that I came up with or we came up with at the time was how do we get, how do we get people from, from, from watching the game to playing the game? So, so I eventually found a few folks that were willing to try this with me and, um, you know, like me, they had some, some awkward previous project experiences and, and they were willing to give this a go, but there were some concessions that had to be made. Um, first of all, in order for me to get people up to speed, they said, well, I don't want to lose my office. Okay, fine. Don't lose your office. We're going to go work over here in this corner and we're going to get stuff done and it's a team space and, you know, we can pile, pile people in there, but you get to keep your office. Okay. Well, if I'm going to do this, then I need top of the line hardware. Top of the line hardware back in the day was, you know, dual core procs and all that crazy stuff. I said, okay, fine. And then I go, what else do you want? And I go, well, you know, if we're going to set up our pairing stations, we should do it right. And I'm like, so two monitors each, two keyboards, two mice for each machine. They're like, yeah, that'd be good. And I go, how about 24 inch monitors? Cause you know, 10 years ago, that was cat's meow. And they're like, all right, kind of bribery. And they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, that'd be great. And they go, do I, do we get to keep the hardware if we don't like this? I go, well, I hadn't thought about that. Um, maybe I said, what do you guys want? I go, well, I'll try it for a month. If I don't like it, I get to keep the machine and all the hardware. I'm like, if you don't try it for a month, you get to keep the mouse. I'm like, well, that's not good enough. I said, you got to try this for at least three months because, you know, if you try it for a month, you don't know if you're going to like it or not. But if you try it for three months, at least you've, we've gone through a few sprints at this point where we can reflect back and say, so, you know something, here's, here's what we did. We did it by the book and here's what I like. Here's what I don't like. At least at that point, you'll be making a decision based on data, not based on emotion. I said, if you stick it out for three months, I'll give you a monitor. That's not good enough. I said, okay. If you stick it out for four months, I'll give you a monitor. Well, that's not fair. You're going the wrong way. I'm like, six months, if you want the machine, which I know you want, you got to do it for six months. Okay, but I'm, uh, but I'm only going to be in the team space for an hour a day. So no, team hours are, team out, team hours are from, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. or 10 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. So you got to be in the team space from 10 to 4.30 every day, and we're going to hold each other accountable, and this is the way it's going to be. So I get these people on board, right? I bribe them. And the other thing that I bribed him with was a nice uh, espresso maker, you know, the, the push button, make me, make me whatever I want, because we had to have that. And so, and so I go back to Mike and I'm like, hey, I got these people on board. He's like, awesome. What'd their managers say? I don't know. I didn't talk to their managers. He told me to find a team. I found a team. He goes, Mitch, 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 you don't understand. The only way that you're going to get those people to actually work on your project is if their managers are supporting this effort. I'm like, all right, well. I'll go talk to him. He's like, and he smiles. I said, okay. So I got to talk to him. One of the managers is like, you want, you want who to do what? I'm like, yeah, I explain all the agile stuff. Absolutely not. Absolutely. They can't do this. They are developers. They are not going to be writing tests. And similarly, they are testers. They're not going to be writing code. You know, they can't write code. Their job is to write tests. You know, we have developers to do that. And and, oh, I'm an architect. Only I can design the system. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, guys, this is exactly what got us in this hole in the first place. We've got to let go of all this stuff. I mean, if we're going to sit, sit, sit out there on the soccer pitch 
if I'm a defender, I'm not going to say my job is only to defend and I'm not going to the attacking zone. I said, we have to win or lose as a team. We have to have collective ownership. In order for that to happen, I need you to, and the managers would just shut me down. Mitch, look, they're not, they are not allowed to do this. And so this went on for a couple of weeks. So I go back to my tail between my legs, feel like I'm just been beaten up. I'm like, dude, this sucks. He goes, what do you mean? I said, they're not going to let their people go work on these projects. And he goes, all right, well, this is where I can help you. All right. So we all schedule a meeting together, the managers and me and my boss, or, you know, the guy who led our group. And he listens to all their concerns. One of their biggest concerns, how do I do a performance review on a person who's not doing their job? Right. So I'm a dev lead. How do I do a performance review on a developer who is not developing? Valid case in the, in, in the scenario where all developers do is write code. And so I came back and I said, well, they're going to be helping make others better. They're going to be taking on big challenges. And I, I started reading off the Microsoft company values. And I said, and most importantly, we're going to collectively be delivering for our customers and stakeholders. And we're not going to just be a cog in a wheel. We're going to be a complete team that has that overall responsibility. And this just blew their mind. I mean, their eyes are rolling in the back of the head. And Mike, of course, is sitting there stoic saying, look, we're going to do this. You guys can be on board or not on board, but this is going to happen. So are you in or are you out? Oh, fine. Fine, we're in. And so that, you know, that was a lot of, that was a lot of headbanging on the, on the desk at night when I would come home and try to even say to myself, how do I, how do I get people to understand? How do I communicate my message? Because at the time, I was kind of being a zealot. I read all this stuff. I was super excited about it. I had just come off a big failure. And I thought, you know, everything I had done in the past was, was wrong. This has to be right. This is going to replace everything. And um, as I reflect back on that, you know, the message, how I was communicating my message was flawed because of the way I was communicating it in that sort of zealotry kind of way. This is going to solve world hunger when indeed it did. But, you know, that's besides the point. Very interesting story, Mitch. I think it kind of underscores how important the human factor is in all of this and how oftentimes organizations run to just the practices when in reality they they really need to be focused on the the values and the principles as well. Absolutely. That's that's the core, right? That's the core. If you don't know why you're doing something, don't do it. Uh, let me ask you guys a question. This is something I always ask people if I do a Scrum Master workshop. Um, did Daniel, Stephen, did you guys take a, take a shower today or in the last 24 hours by chance? No comment. Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> you have. You have. Good. Why, why did you do that? Uh, I sense that this may be a trick question, but I'll play along to get clean. Okay. Uh, why, why else to get clean? Sure. That's, that's nice. So you, but you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it every day to get clean. Correct. Um, but I, I, I live in a warm environment. <laughs> so I, so social pressure perhaps. Uh, yeah, I see where you're going. Right. Right. If I go outside, I definitely make sure I've taken my shower before I'm going out and meeting other people. Right. Because of the social interaction, I, I want to have the perception that I'm still clean. Okay, so you've so you've groomed yourself, you've gotten yourself cleaned up and ready to go for the day. Um, how about you, Dan? Yeah, it's kind of just my custom to to shower daily. So it's a habit. Sure. Yeah, it's a habit. I um, I love showering in the morning because it really wakes me up. You know, I'm a little bit groggy. I hop up out of bed and hop in the shower and wakes me up. Feels good. You know, it it helps sets the day for me on a on a good pace. And I find days that I don't when I break that habit that. You know, I'm, I'm thrown off. It takes me about an hour to reorient, oddly enough. Um, when my kids were young, 
they would uh they would go outside and play in the mud. Oh, forgot I forgot one one more important thing. What would a what would a doctor say? What's the importance of of daily cleanliness? I'm gonna say hygiene. Hygiene. Yeah, hygiene, right? We don't wanna we don't wanna inter- introduce ourselves as MRSA and SARS and create a superbug. So, you know, my kids are young, they're outside playing in the mud. And um and I see this behavior in, in companies, by the way. So that's why I'm telling you the story. People not showering? Uh, no, not people not showering. Or playing in the or playing in the mud. Playing in the mud, so to speak. So my kids are outside, they're playing in the mud, right? And my wife and I say, hey guys, it's time to eat. Right? It's a nice sunny day. It's middle of summer. It's time to eat. And we've made them some food. And you know, they're, you know, three, four, or five years old. They come walking over to the door and they hold out their hands and they are covered in mud from head to toe. Covered. Except their hands. They're a little bit clean because they ran them through the the puddle that they were ro- rolling around and wallowing in. And they say, food, please. And we're like, oh, my gosh, you guys are filthy little rugrats. You need to get in the bath. And they say, of course, no, I'm not getting in the bath. I want food. And an argument ensues. And eventually they get in the bath. And and we say, OK, guys, time to get out of the bath. And of course, they say, no way. No, no way. I don't want to get out of this. It's too much fun. Yeah, but you have food. Ah, the food can wait. All right. So we have this this toddler mindset and we we see this toddler mindset where um, it's hard to reason with them. So we can explain all of the reasons why we shower, why cleanliness is important and all that. And they just don't get it. They just, they just can't process that. So we have this toddler mindset. Uh, teenagers, when, um, when the oldest was driving, I asked her to go take a, take a box for me. And, and she, you know, it was about, I don't know, maybe a mile, basically go up the road, hang a right, go down a quarter mile, hang a left and, you know, half mile and you're there. Uh, comes back an hour later. Where were you? We were worried about you. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, but you know, you, we were we were afraid. And I just leave me alone, you guys. Oh, all you do is ha- hammer on me. And it was funny because before when she was leaving, I said to her, I said, "Look, where you're going, where the office is, is kind of hard to see. It's hidden. It's back back behind some trees. And oh, but it's right next to the Denny's. It's right next to the Denny's. Well, I know where the Denny's is. God, why do you have to treat me like I'm an idiot?" Well, I'm not. I just don't want you to get lost because, I mean, it comes up really fast. And then it's, well, it's across the street from Whole Foods. I know we're Whole Foods. I've been there. I've been there a million times. Geez, why don't you trust me? Why can't I? I know what I'm doing, you know. And so, you know, she comes back late. Um, and I see this this mindset, right? The teenager mindset where you can't tell anybody the way it is or even make a suggestion as, as to have an idea. It's just, it's my way or the highway. Um, and then as an adult, right? So. The example that I gave you earlier where I, I said to my team, hey, guys, look, I don't I don't understand these story points, man. And um, they scare the crap out of me and I've got to trust you guys. And and so I'm going to put my trust in you and I'm going to ask you for help. And I'm going to tell you that I don't get this. And, you know, those are traits of adults um, for this agile stuff to work. It really takes adults. And it was interesting. I was reading an email on the scrum trainer alias earlier that said, uh, one one person posted where they said, "Look, you know, don't treat people like kids." Basically, it was a conversation around should the should the scrum master be the team mother, and uh, and it and then it came back to you know it said uh, don't don't treat people like kids, treat them like adults, and they'll act like adults. So does that mean that if I treat a toddler like an adult, they'll act like an adult, or will they still kick and scream that they can't have candy when we go to the grocery store and walk down the candy aisle? 
Have you guys seen that those those behavioral patterns in people at, at work where you see toddlers where you just can't reason with that sort of mindset and you see teenagers where my way is the highway and you see adults? I mean, absolutely. It's a great way to segment people's, you know, people's attitudes and behaviors. Right. And it's and it's uh oddly enough, really easy to see because um oftentimes you'll hear people say, you know, a scrum master is like the team mom. And and I kind of I, I kind of think about when I think about being a team mom or a team dad, I think about my my role and responsibility as a parent. My role and responsibility as a parent isn't to be a helicopter parent to hover and to control. It's to guide, lead and mentor such that when they go off to school or decide to move out, that they have the the skills for the most part, the skills and the competencies, more importantly, the way of thinking that they need to be able to survive in the world. Yeah, I think it I think it truly depends on your frame of reference. Because my wife and I are similar, right? We believe in what we call situational parenting, kind of like in the same vein as situational leadership. Um, And that's along the lines of a lot of the European mindset, especially in Germany over parenting. Uh, But a lot of folks in the U.S., you know, if you say it's the team mom, it's it's it translates into the one who's, you know, talking down to people and. And, and so on. So I can see how there, there'd be a little bit of a disparity. Yeah. And that's, that's why whenever I say to people in people in general, if I ever say, you know, scrum master is like a team mom, I always highlight it with that story in the fact that as a parent, my role is to mentor and lead and guide um, people to make smart decisions, not to control and act and decide for, because if we do that, and our kids go out into the real world, they're going to be 18 years old and not know how to not know how to balance a checkbook or not know what a checkbook is, or I mean, we don't have checkbooks anymore, but you know, they're not going to have money management skills. They're not going to understand that the value of a dollar, they're not going to understand how to make good, smart choices. They're not going to be able to say, Hey, look, I'm I'm at a party with my friends and the driver is everyone's drinking and and I'm not I'm not safe. I don't feel safe going home. You know, being able to have that courage to call and and ask for help whoever it may be, friend or a parent. It's a very self-actualized uh, behavior. Right. So when we think about this agile stuff, I, I really approach a lot of it from a team maturity standpoint, from a, you know, how do we, how do we help get people on board? Seeing that, seeing that behavior, seeing the behavior of you know, the adult mindset versus the toddler or teenager type mindset that I described um, is essential. It's key. And if, and if it's not present, this is where I see Scrum implementations often fail because people, like you guys said, you know, they look at the practices, they don't look at the, they look at the how, they don't look at the why, they they forget the principles and values because the practices are so easy to start with. You know, let's sit down and let's do X, let's do Y, let's do Z. There's a script for this. I'm going to follow the script, and if I disagree with the script, I'm going to modify it to suit my own needs. Not understanding the impact of my decision. Mitch. A lot of guests here on Agile Next have talked about how Agile and Scrum and XP, all, all the brands and Agile is great and is phenomenal, but it's a textbook. When it comes down to putting the rubber on the road and getting the implementation, they keep bumping up against the human factor. And, and you've mentioned that before, um, just in your previous con- in the previous conversation. So a question I have for you is, can you get a little prescriptive for the listeners of how to maybe deal with the human factor since it seems to be such a key issue and a key roadblock sometimes in implementing Agile? Yeah. So how do we get people to go from toddlers to teenagers to adults? Correct. Um, 
couple things that I like. And I like them. And the people that are on the receiving end typically don't. Um, but I love it. So two things. There are two things that really get my goat. Number one, whenever I hear a team member say, I'm done with my task, and I ask him, is the sprint backlog up to date? No, that's the scrum master's job. So that just bugs the crap out of me. And the second one is when a burndown chart, if teams are using burndown charts, and I'm sure you've seen this, where the day by day goes, but the line is flat across the top. And then what happens on the last day of the sprint is you will see a, a sharp drop, basically, where it goes from, you know, zero work being done, meaning total all these hours down to zero. We've seen this pattern, correct? Right. Burn down chart goes flat across the top, drops right at the end. There's a couple things that I do. So we'll start with the we'll start with the less gross one. Um, on the burn down chart, uh, if I'm working as a product owner, I will often communicate to the team, say, hey, the the reason the reason you have this burn down chart, one one of the reasons we have the burn down, one of the reasons you guys are doing the daily scrum is so that if I wanted to listen in or if I wanted to get status and just see how things are going, I don't need to bug you. So tying back to the values and principles, I can allow you to stay focused and I can allow you to stay committed. And so those tools that you keep up to date, the burndown and the daily scrum, those, those help me understand where we're at. If there's any problems or challenges, I can go have a conversation with the scrum master to see if there are any risks. I can decide to attend the daily scrum to hear if there are any impediments that as your product owner, I might be able to assist you with. If that tool is not, or that mechanism, the, the burndown is not being kept up to date, it's flat across the board, because I let people know that you know we, we, we love full transparency, that if the stakeholders would like to have access or like to be able to see the burndown at any given time, that I'll share it with them. So sometimes what happens is the stakeholders will say, hey, I'd love to know what's going on. And I'll just take a snapshot of the burndown on any given day and email it to the stakeholders. And I see, make sure to CC the team and, and the Scrum Master, again, because we're striving for that transparency. And if this is, again, you know, multiple teams and we're distributed, of course, I'm including all those people. And I say, here's the team's current status for the sprint. Now, you can imagine on day five of a 10-day sprint, the reaction that you get from people when the burndown is flat across the top, therefore illustrating that zero work has been accomplished for that week. Have you had that uh, several times actually. Right. And then you've got that disparity between the two. Got the disparity, but you don't have the disparity because remember as a scrum team, we have agreed that one of the mechanisms that we would use to share information and to communicate with is a burn down chart. Now the team is choosing to not keep it up to date, at which point I send that email out. The team responds back to me, of course, dropping everybody else. What the hell did you just do? Why did you do this? This is not accurate. It's not up to date. My response is simple. This is the agreed upon mechanism that we are using to one of the agreed upon mechanisms we're using to communicate. It's not my responsibility to make sure that you're keeping it up to date. It's your responsibility. If you make a choice to not do it, you're effectively making a decision to communicate to me that you have done nothing. So all I did was report what you've communicated to me. I don't see the problem here. Yeah, but we've been really busy. We've got all this work done. So then why don't you keep your stuff up to date? Which takes us to step number two or part number two where they say, well, it's hard, or I don't have the time, or it's the scrum master's job. Meaning, if I don't keep my tasks or the sprint backlog up to date, oftentimes the burn down reflects poorly. So I'm sure both of you have heard team members say before, I don't want to keep it up to date. It's the scrum master's job. I don't want to do it. It takes too long. 
It's just something I, it's just, or it's just something they don't want to, they don't feel it's their task to do there. You know, I'm a developer. Yeah. I'm a developer. I write code, right? It's not my job to do this. And so then I say, I say, oh, it's a scrum master job. Yeah. It's a scrum master job or it's somebody else's job. And I say to them, is it their job to follow you to the bathroom as well? And they go, what do you mean? I said, well, clearly you're not capable of wiping your own butt or zipping up your pants or washing your hands. So do you have a helper to allow you to do that? Because that takes more time every day than it does to go into the tool that you're using and update your task and mark it as complete or how many hours you've spent. And they go, well, that's gross. Why would I do that? Like, well, because if you can't open up your tool and hit you know, a number and hit enter or save, we're talking seven seconds here. If you can't do that three times a day, dude, seriously, you've got issues and challenges. Yeah, but it's not my job. It's, you know some. It's not my job to wash my hands either. But it's my job in society to help prevent disease and germs from spreading. Therefore, I do it. I don't have to, but I do it. I don't have to shower every day, but I do it. And I understand why I do these things. And I understand the benefits that come out of them because when the product owner, me, communicates to our stakeholders and it reflects you guys haven't done any work, that's not my problem. That's yours. That's the decision that you are making. That's the choice you are making to communicate out to the rest of us that you have done nothing. So if you're telling me that you're too busy to do it, I have to question your ability to do other things as well. Ties right back into the values and principles. So when we talk about prescriptive things to help change motivation and change behavior, that's what I do. Clearly communicate. This is the reason why we have this tool. This is the reason how this tool is used. This is how it will be, how it will be used and communicated with in the future. It's your choice if you want to keep it up to date. It's your choice if you want to manage it accordingly. Understand though, we're practicing transparency. And with that comes questions. And if you choose not to keep it up to date, if we go back to the principles and values, focus, respect, commitment, courage, openness. I'm not going to allow you, you will not be allowed to be committed and you will not be allowed to have focus because you are making the choice to be distracted by not keeping your stuff up to date. It's a great point about how, you know, while it kind of, in, in essence, it almost doesn't matter what practices you follow in Agile as long as it's in the spirit of those values and principles. But if you're going to follow something like Scrum, it, it truly is a system and there should be some rigor and adherence to the practices in order to gain the benefits that, that are expected. Right. It, it comes down to discipline, right? So you, you tell me, do you, guys, uh, do you guys agree with me that eating healthy and exercising daily is good for long, long-term health? Sure. I do. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Uh, do you do it? Do you exercise daily and eat healthy? I mean, probably more often than not, but definitely not daily. Okay. Daniel? Yeah, with some, some exceptions. Some exceptions? So, so you would put a big old yes on that one? Or would you say, for the most for the most part, I try to do it. The spirit is strong, but the flesh is weak. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Mitch, for the for the most part, I try to do it. Yes. Right. But that's again, that's the same thing. For the most part, I try to do it too. But you know, when we think about what are all of the blockers that we have in life that prevent that from happening, you know, we've got family, we've got kids, we've got outside constraints. Like I got Boy Scouts tonight, right? So these are things that take away from our ability to do the things that we know that we need to do because the pain is not 
imminent and it's not clear. Now, if I was to go to the doctor tomorrow and they came back and said, your cholesterol's at 500 and you need to start exercising daily and eating healthy, I'm going to have a shock to the system. I'm going to be thrown into chaos and I'm going to, I'm going to dramatically change the way I approach my day because that item has now shifted to the top of my personal priority list. But for most of us, we just understand that those things in the background, you know, we know that we, we should do them. We try to do the best that we can, but we have these other short-term competing priorities because pressures in life become so high. Developers, testers, scrum teams face the same pressure. You see product owners that say, look, I have to have these 20 stories done. Yeah, but we can only do 10. doesn't matter. Do 20. So that team does 20, but they do them in such a way that they hack slash and burn and release poor quality code out into an environment that then creates debt and bugs and outages that then causes that team to cycle even more and say, okay, well, now we have to maintain this high level of feature, but now we have all this garbage that we have to clean up. It's just not sustainable. So sticking to that discipline and having a clear level of understanding throughout the organization, I mean, not just the roles, but I'm talking about entire organizational transformation. How do we ensure that? And that I think when we talk about, you know, what's the next challenge for this agile stuff is, is really about organizational function and executive, executive support. And, and more importantly, executives understanding why this stuff is what it is and putting aside the notion of being a kid in the candy store and saying that, you know, mom, I, I want the, I want this candy right now. You have to buy it for me. Because a lot of times what will happen is if that kid's a spoiled brat, they'll get what they want. And if that executive or that person is the leader of a company, they're going to get what they want, but they don't understand the impact of that decision because the team itself, the people executing, they have a level of discipline that they're trying to maintain. And if they start injecting bad things into the system, just like if we start injecting bad things into our bodies, our systems will fail. I've had the the heart to heart with some executives I've worked with and I've said, hey, look, why don't you earn your pay? You're paid to make tough decisions, not just say, I want, I want, I want, and expect to get everything you 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 demand, right? You make the big bucks because, yeah, you have to make the decisions, right? And that that's a great segue into our, you know, the premise of our show and, and our sort of trademark question. What's in store for Agile Next, in your opinion? Well, it is that executive stuff. I mean, it's, 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 about, it's about organizational alignment. One of the chapters that I have in my book is specifically around organizational alignment. Um, one, one challenge I had working at a company a while ago was the salespeople would go out, they would sell jobs, and they would sign contracts without consulting us, us poor dev folks, or the people that would actually do the work. And we would you know, get the, get the signed contract back, and the signed contract would have a date, of course, would have, a, have some scope, and it would have some money. And we would look at this, and we would go, you guys are crazy. This is this is impossible. We can't get this done. And they would look at us and go, yeah, but you know, it's already signed and we're done. And they're off to the next deal with their big fat commission checks. And we're stuck holding the basket, trying to, trying to find a way to maintain this discipline and maintain customer satisfaction. When, you know, how do you come up to somebody and say, yeah, you know, that thing that you said you wanted, well, it's going to cost twice as much and take twice as long. Well, it's unacceptable. You said you would do X for Y. It's like, I, yeah. Yeah, we as a company did. But remember, at that point, those salespeople are gone. And what we did was we shifted the incentive model. So from a sales perspective, they got their payout at the end of the project. Now, they got an initial bonus at the beginning, but they then as as delivery teams would 
deliver, we measured customer satisfaction. If customer satisfaction was good and happy, the sales folks and the account management folks would get an additional additional compensation that they were owed. And if they didn't, then they wouldn't. So it really drove and shifted the behavior from going out and just signing contracts blindly to coming back and actually understanding as a salesperson, what is my organizational capacity? What are the what are the skills and competencies that I have available at my disposal to sell such that we can go into a marketplace or we can go into a customer and we can we can outbid knowing with a higher degree of confidence that we have the ability to deliver and we have data to back it up. And and Mitch, that's pretty fascinating. But I want to ask you one last question is what's next for Mitch? Where, what, are, what are some awesome things that you're working on over the next year or so? Any books or keynotes? Well, Stephen, you know, what's next for me is is I will be uh, swearing in President Skywalker mm. next year in January. So I'm excited. They, they found him on that crazy Ireland. Uh... That crazy Ireland, Ire, Ireland Island out in the middle of the sea. Yes, they did. Yes. So President Skywalker will be in. All, all balance will be restored to the universe. Uh, but what is what is next for me? You know, uh, one of my goals this year is to is to write more. So my uh, the the second edition came out in 2016, and you know, I need to I need to keep writing. That is something that I that I really want to do. It's something that um, I'd forgotten how much I I loved and missed, which of course then means I have to shift focus on priorities. Uh, one thing that I've been experimenting for, for years with, and this started with the oldest back when she was in third grade and she's a freshman in college now, was really driving the agile stuff at home and creating the transparency with the kids to help them understand from an organizational level, right, being the parents, what it is that, what it is that we have going on and our responsibilities, what they have going on, their responsibilities, and how we decide to work together as a team versus as individuals, because like we see in companies, um, I see the same behavior at home. You know, it's not my job today to empty the dishwasher or it's not my job to do this or it's not my job to do that. It's it's like, look, your your customers just want a clean house. So can you chip in and do what needs to be done? And um, so so driving that, I haven't I haven't written much about that. Not sure if I necessarily plan to, but I do have conversations with people about this all the time because I did write a blog post on that topic about 10 years ago that people often read and, and will come back and ping me. So uh, I am going to be publishing a new video series this year that's going to be up on Front Row Agile pertaining to the book as well. So I guess I've got that going on too. That's kind of a big project. So yeah, that's it. That's it for, that's it for 2016. And we'll see what, we'll see what 2017 holds in, uh, on December 31st of 2016. Sounds great. We want to thank you for your time, Mitch. It was very enlightening talking with you. Yeah, and thank you guys for the uh, for the fun questions and the and, and, and allowing me to rant and pontificate endlessly. Next week on Agile Next, we have Gene Russell. A big Agile Next thank you to our sponsors, Fresco Capital and Applebrook Consulting. Visit Fresco Capital at frescocapital.com and Applebrook Consulting at apple-brook.com. We hope to see you next week on Agile Next. In the meantime, check out our website at agilenext.tv. 